0: What's up everybody, my name is Shane Kohler and this is The Conscious Love Show. Thanks so much for joining me here where each week I'm sharing true to life insights and experiences from my journey and how I've created the loving and committed partnership I have today. I answer your questions and have live discussions with you so I can support you in your specific situation. And I bring in experts and people who know their stuff so we can all learn from their perspectives. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode seven of The Conscious Love Show. In today's episode, I want to speak about the difference between the higher self intuitive space and the egoic, conscious, uh, physical mind space, right? So two different ways of receiving, processing, and dealing with information as human beings. Um, We can do it through the intuitive sense, through the higher self and we can do it through the egoic sense through the physical mind we could call that the lower self i don't know if it i don't know if it translates the same way but but it is the it is the part of the mind that is obsessed with physical reality that has no awareness of ourselves outside physical reality and filters all information based on physical factors alone So if if you just think about that for a moment, and why is this important? Let's start with that. Well, why is this important? Because when we live life completely through the physical mind, completely through the egoic mind, we are not living in acknowledgement of our true nature, of who we really are, of what we really are, of our true power, of where we come from, of our ability to create, our ability to manifest we are not viewing life in a sense of a lot of possibility we're not viewing life in a sense that is a lot that a lot is available to us the the ego views life through scarcity the ego views life as though there is not enough and the ego is always trying to get for itself what it thinks it needs because it it lives under the constant fear that it's gonna be left alone, it's gonna be deprived, it's not gonna be cared for, it's not gonna be attended to, its needs will not be met, and on and on and on. So the physical egoic mind is constantly viewing life through through a view of lack, a view of scarcity, a view of limited reality, a view of limited possibility, and the intuitive sense, the higher self, the higher mind, is viewing life from a place of unlimited possibility, unlimited potential, unlimited creative ability. And when I say creative ability, I mean our ability to create our life in all the ways that we might want it to show up. If that's love, if that's abundance, if that's different things. We have the choice to view life either from the physical egoic mind or from the higher intuitive self. And when I talk about intuition, I've often linked intuition to what we do when we're driving. I think when we drive, we often operate on intuition and this is not that complex. It's not that crazy or foreign for any of us. Most of us know how to drive. Most of us probably do it every day. And when you get in the car, there's a certain safety you feel in that you have control of the situation in that you know how to operate the vehicle and your conscious mind is allowed to relax and not be in control of everything, and you're able to operate the vehicle from your intuitive sense, and your conscious mind can actually be listening to the music, can be thinking about what happened that day, thinking about a conversation you're going to have later. Like, we are, we are very rarely actually driving when we're driving. When we're driving, we are usually somewhere else entirely. It's, it's kind of crazy to think. Like, we can get in a car and drive at 70, 80 miles per hour, And change lanes and, you know, catch our exits and do all this stuff and not even really be there while we're doing it. Like we could be thinking about something else, singing to the music, doing something else. And, and we're, we're actually able to operate the vehicle almost completely on intuition. So that's a really great example. If you think about what intuition is, that's a really great way to connect to what is intuition. It's what you do when you drive. It's how your conscious mind is able to let go of control of the situation, to let go of needing to know every little detail like, do I need to push the pedal a little bit harder? Do I need to let off a little bit? Like your conscious mind doesn't need to be in charge of that and you can just feel into what's right. Do I need to push the pedal a little more? Do I need to lay off a little bit? Do I need to break a little bit, right? You're not thinking about every detail. You're just intuitively going through the motions of what you feel is needed in that moment. This is an ability that we all have. It's not foreign. It's not hard to access. It's not difficult to reach. It's something we all have. It's something we all use in mundane things like driving. But if you think about why we're able to do it when we're driving, and why we are not able to do it in other places. What I said was, when you drive, you feel safe enough in that you, you have control of the vehicle, you feel safe enough in your own control of the vehicle for your conscious mind to relax. And the problem and the reason we're not able to operate on intuition in other areas of our life is because our conscious mind, our egoic mind, does not feel safe enough to relax. We think if I just let this unfold, however it's going to unfold, that I will not get my needs met. I will not get what I want. I will not be happy. I will not be safe. So I need to insert myself into the situation. I need to insist that something should happen here. I need to try to make things happen that wouldn't naturally happen otherwise if I wasn't involving myself in this. And on and on and on. And what it comes down to is that I don't feel safe enough. I don't feel confident enough in who I am and my own creative ability to relax my conscious mind and let myself operate on intuition. And this is what creates all of the chaos in our lives. And so what happens is, I just want to give an example here. What happens is, let's say, you know, we'll just take something really obvious, like if you're getting to know somebody and you're starting to date them and you start to think I really like them and I really want something to happen here right? And then instead of relaxing and letting the relationship take its course and trusting the outcome, and these are all things I've talked about many times on here, right? But instead of relaxing into intuition, let me feel into this. Let me feel what's right. You know, let me throw out some invitations for them. Let me see if they pick up the invitations. If not, I'll just relax about that, right? Like instead of, instead of letting our intuitive sense just kind of guide us, We insert ourselves in there and try to make something happen with this person. So we might, you know, be suggesting, you know, well, what if we do this? Or what if we do this? Or we might be reaching out too often. Or we, you know, we might be doing all the things that people tell you not to do. And, you know, not to not do them from a game playing kind of place. Don't do them because it's really not authentic right? It's not coming from an authentic place of, I genuinely want to connect with someone right now. It's coming from a place of, I need to make something happen. And when you come from that place of, I need to make something happen, that person is going to feel that they're going to pick up on it. And it's going to make them go, I don't know if I want something to happen here. Your intuition is actually wise enough to feel all of those dynamics, to feel, should I put a little more? Should I pull back a little bit? You know, and not again, like it's, it's so important to make this distinction. And these are nuances. These are subtleties. That's why I love talking on the podcast because I can't communicate this in a one minute Instagram video, but these are the nuances and these are the subtleties that we, we have to be able to understand if we're going to be effective in relationships. You know, the nuance is that, yes, there is some push pull dynamic. There is some creating mystery. There is some, you know, I'm not going to put it all out on the table right away because there is going to be some mystery here as we discover each other. And and there's going to be some building of wanting to know more, wanting to find out more, and and the excitement of that building. And that's going to draw you into the relationship. Right? And if I just put it all out there on day one, there's no mystery. There's no buildup. There's no excitement. There's no anticipation. I ruin that for you. Right? So, These are are things that are important to creating a relationship, but they can't be achieved by game playing. They can't be achieved by you in your egoic mind trying to orchestrate all of this and make it happen. Your ego is not smart enough to do that. Let me just, I I love that I just said that. (laughs) Let 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 me put it that way. Your ego is not smart enough to do that. But your intuition is, this is where we've all got to level up and be willing to let go of our need to make it all happen within this tightly wound controlled grip that we have and be willing to release, be willing to feel what's right in the moment, right? You see what your ego wants to do is your ego wants to lock it in. Your ego wants to have it all figured out. I know what's going to happen here. I know where this is going. I know what I need to do to make it happen the way I want it to. I know what I need to do to work it all out. Your ego wants to have a game plan and a strategy and know exactly what I need to do, what I need to say, when I need to do it, how I need to do it. And if I just boom, 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 I'm going to get what I want. And that is a fear-based control structure that the ego needs to feel safe. Your higher self does not need to live within this tightly wound control structure in order to feel safe. And if you if you constantly give yourself over to the ego and let the ego make these decisions for you and let the ego operate from this control fear place, you're going to sabotage time and time again. It's going to destroy you getting and creating the things you want to create in your life. And you're going to sit back and go, I've been trying so hard. I've been doing so much of what, you know, whatever it is that you think you're supposed to be doing. And and you're going to be defeated and go, why didn't it work? Like, I've been there. And, and I feel for people who are in this position because God bless you. I know you are trying. I know you are trying your heart out. I know you are giving it your what you think is your honest best shot. But you've got to recognize this is where you need to level up, that the that the creative potential is not found in forcing more of the things that are not working. The creative potential is found in trying something new, in trying something you haven't tried before. And when you try it, it's going to be terrifying. One of the biggest things that we can all just be aware of as a human being, and it will make our life so much easier and give us so much more power and effectiveness in our life. One of the things that we can all just simply be aware of is that when you're doing something new. When you're doing something that is outside of your egoic, safe control structure, your ego is going to flip out about it. It could be the most basic thing. I mean, for example, like I'll just share a personal example. If I'm going to post a piece of content, like uh, a video about a topic that I haven't really talked about before, that's maybe a sensitive topic, or a, a video that Or if I say something in a video and I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I should have said that. I'm just sharing this example because I want you to understand how present this is. Is that like, I make hundreds of pieces of content a a, a week, it feels like. Maybe that's not true, but it feels that way. But I create so much content. I talk about so many things. And every now and then, for some reason, some little thing I say, or some little piece of content or some little topic will just trigger me for some reason and I'll have an insecurity about it. And then I'll like be in this ego reaction of like, what are people going to say? Are they going to hate me for it? And have I like, you know, just, I mean, it's just the craziest thing. And it's like, and I know in my intuitive self, when I relax, when I trust, I'm like, it's okay. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to get it right. It, like, like I know that in uh, in an intuitive sense, and yet my ego goes into this reaction about it. And fortunately for myself, I've done the work long enough, and I've I've been you know practicing this long enough to understand the difference between an ego reaction, and and then be able to observe that happening, and then be able to kind of relax into my intuitive truth, and say okay what's true here and I can, and I can, you know, it's not always easy, it's not always comfortable, but I can make that transition, right? Of bringing back that intense egoic reaction, ah, relaxing into my intuitive truth. I know I'm safe, I know I'm whole, I know it's okay. I know I can't fuck this up no matter how hard I try, right, like, right, like just reminding, reminding ourselves of these universal truths. And so if you can be aware That whenever you try something new, your ego is going to have a freak out reaction. You can start to work with that reaction instead of letting that reaction drive you back into an old pattern. So I want to, I want to say, I want to say that again. If you can understand about yourself that when you try something new, you are going to have an egoic freak out reaction. It's like alarm bells going off in your nervous system. Like, oh my god, you're, you're breaking the pattern that has kept us safe our whole life here. What the fuck are you doing? Like, you know, it's like alarm bells going off. And that's, that's a normal survival mechanism operating right there. That's a normal human survival mechanism operating, right? We all have it. But what most of us experience when those alarm bells go off is we go, oh my god, I'm doing something really wrong here. I'm screwing it all up. I'm gonna suffer for this. And all of our guilt and all of our shame comes to the forefront. And then we retreat into the old pattern because we confuse safety with goodness or with rightness or with our highest good. We confuse safety with what is good or right or in our highest good. A lot of us haven't learned that what is in our highest good is the thing that challenges us the most often often, not always. There are times when something is challenging you and you need to cut that thing out of your life. And I've spoken about that, but often the challenge that you're facing is, let let me, let me say that differently. The thing that is going to be the greatest challenge for you is the thing that is also your greatest growth, right? So I'll just give an example. You know, Some of us, if we have more of an anxious attachment style, if we have more of an anxious pattern of attachment, then our inclination is always to step into relationship, always to want more of it. Can I be closer to you? Can I ask you for more? Can you text me more often? Can you call me for more often? Can we be closer? Can we spend more time together? Right? If you have more of an anxious attachment style, that's going to be what brings you comfort. But... Having more of that is not necessarily what's in your highest good. What's in your highest good would be to learn to be comfortable with letting relationships breathe, would be to learn to be comfortable with having some space, would be to learn to be comfortable with that person not texting you back right away or not texting you back the same day and you just allowing that to be okay. Now, I'm not saying you want to accept that. For a long-term relationship, you know, if somebody doesn't text you back for three days, you might say like, this isn't what I'm looking for in a relationship and that's okay too. But you want to learn to calm your nervous system and be okay with that. And what a lot of us do is when that person doesn't text us back, we start thinking, what do I need to do to get them to text me back? What do I need to do to get them to pay attention to me? And then we act in the patterns that sabotage relationships where the thing to do would be to say, let me learn to be comfortable with letting the relationship breathe. And then I can see from a calm and grounded place if this is the right relationship for me. But I first need to learn to calm my fear reaction. If, if it was an avoidant style, I want to give an example of both sides here if it was an avoidance style and and your inclination is more to withdraw from relationships or distance yourself in relationships, then the highest growth or the highest good for you would be to learn to be comfortable with intimacy in ways that you're usually not comfortable with, right? So when you start getting to know someone and they start wanting to get close to you, when somebody starts wanting to get close to you and your inclination is to like freak out, Withdrawal, want to pull away, want to pull back, right? If that's your inclination, then your highest growth is going to be to when somebody gets close to me, or when somebody wants to get close to me, let me surrender into that and be comfortable with that. Let me surrender into that and allow this person to get close to me. When I'm having my freak out reaction, like, Whoa, you're you're infringing on my freedom. Whoa, you're taking up my space. Whoa, I don't like this. I, I want you to get away. Right. My practice would be to calm that and ease that and feel into that. Right. But then but then say, okay, well, let me practice being in relationship with this person. Let me practice allowing this person to take up some space in my life. Let me practice making commitments to this person. And having commitments um, with them in my life and honoring those commitments. Let me practice this. Let me get more comfortable with this. And you know, again, like same as the anxious person, right? If if somebody is coming on really, really strong and that makes you uncomfortable. And you might decide, like, this isn't the kind of person that I want to spend my life with. This isn't the kind of relationship I want to have. Like, I would be more comfortable in a relationship that allows for more space. And that that's perfectly okay. But you want to decide that from a grounded and conscious place, not from an ego freak out reaction. And what happens for most of us is we can only get involved in relationships to the place where we hit that ego fear reaction. And that's the point where we sabotage. Whether we sabotage in a more anxious approach of clinging, 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 wanting more, 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 and then driving that person away, or whether we sabotage in in a more avoidant way of distancing and pulling back and avoiding, we still either, no matter how it works out, and I know some people are gonna say, well, what about disorganized attachment? which disorganized detachment is is somebody who experiences a lot of both tendencies. And, and it's very, you know, it, it can be very confusing to experience so much of both, you know, it would still be, it would still be the same thing. It would just be instead of avoiding only one way, you're avoiding both ways, right? you're avoiding in a more complex dynamic. But the thing is, is, is it's still the same thing happening is it's that ego, fear reaction is being activated. That is driving you into these avoidant tendencies. And by you could be avoiding through an anxious style. You could be avoiding through an avoidant style. You could be avoiding through a disorganized style, right? But it's still avoiding love. It's still keeping love out of my life. It's still blocking myself off from love because my ego goes into a fear reaction and that becomes very uncomfortable for me. What do we do about this, right? And And the topic today is distinguishing intuition from from ego thought or from the physical mind and learning to it's like a growing into relying less on our physical mind relying more on our intuition now i've spoken a lot on here about self-soothing practices um things like breath meditation um inner child work and inner child healing goes a long way for this um Movement, physical movement, dancing, journaling. These are these are different forms of self-soothing practices. A self-soothing practice is uh, something you have that allows you to interrupt your reactions and bring you back to a calm and empowered place. If you were to go with the more avoidant style example and somebody was trying to get close to me and somebody was trying to spend time with me and they were trying to make plans with me and this is causing me to... <gasps> I don't want to. You're invading me. You're uh, uh, right. And I go into a a very visceral reaction about that. Well, then the thing to do would be to have a self-soothing practice, right? So I can journal about my experience. Journaling helps me to process the experience. I've spoken on here about journaling. Right, Journaling helps me to process the experience. It helps me to get my thoughts out of my mind onto paper and understand the mental activity that is happening that is causing the intense emotional response. Uh, meditation, breath. right. There are different forms of breathing and meditation and, and they can all be incredibly helpful. But having a way of, you know, meditation is kind of about getting out of the conscious mind and relaxing into the intuitive sense. Meditation is is actually for me anyway my my personal practice of meditation and i think a lot of people would agree is it is actually a practice of withdrawing from the conscious mind and relaxing into the intuitive self so that's what i do when i meditate is i is i try to create distance between myself and my thoughts and relax into my intuitive self my intuitive self that knows I am safe, that knows I am okay, that knows that nothing is really going wrong, that knows that I have the ability to know what is right in the moment. And I don't need to figure it all out or have it all figured out ahead of time and being able to trust that and rely more on that. And as I, as I do that, I become more equipped to make the quote right actions or right decisions in the moment. In Buddhism, the, in the eightfold path, they talk about right thinking, right action. eight um eight tenets that they're all they're all characterized as right th- the right way to do these things. And what the spirit of that is, is what it's what it's actually saying and I'm not a big fan of the word right actually. I don't I don't like to characterize things as right or wrong. But the spirit of that is that you know when we say right action or right thinking it is coming from an empowered place. It is coming from a place in which you know who you are. You know what your power is. You know what you're capable of. You know your creative ability. And so you're not operating from fear or anxiety or doubt. You're operating from power. From power from love. Right? You're operating from abundance. And so what I was saying is meditation for me is a way of actively withdrawing from my physical mind that wants to be in control, that wants to know all the answers, that wants to know all the outcomes, that wants to have it all figured out, and surrendering into the intuitive place that trusts that it is all figured out, that I have the answers already. I can be confident and grounded and and comfortable in that. When your ego reaction is activated and you're... (gasps) having that response you're having that i want to do this i want to do that i want to reach out i want to pull away i want whatever it is whatever the response is in that moment that's your cue to stop to turn to one of your self-soothing practices to bring yourself out of that frantic energy and into a grounded place into a place of what do i feel is right those of you this is kind of funny for me I, those of you who listen to the podcast uh You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Last week I said something on the podcast and I shared, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I crossed a line there. Um, and I'm not going to repeat it here because, you know, in all honesty, I don't feel bad about it, but it probably isn't, uh, isn't something I want to say often or throw around a lot. Um, but I think it's fine that it was said. But I, I went through my own process of, you know, when I said it, having my own reaction about it. And you know, I thought about, should I edit it out of the show? Like I actually considered that, like, should I edit it out of the show? And I I sat there, I actually meditated on it. I did this very process I'm sharing with you of bringing myself out of my conscious mind and into my intuitive sense. And, you know, I thought, should I edit it out of the show? And my intuitive sense was, no, I, I don't need to do that. It's okay. It's okay to leave it in. And so like you could do this with anything. And I'm sharing that because that's a real example for me, but you could do this with anything. Should I text the person? You know, should I text them right now? I'm I'm feeling like I need to reach out and maintain some kind of connection. And should I text them right now? You can do it with that, right? Okay, should I text them? Let me meditate on it. Let me journal on it. Let me take some deep breaths around it. Let me try to create some distance between myself and my physical mind. Let me surrender into the intuitive sense, the intuitive self. Should I text them right now? Does that feel right? Does that feel like what's called for in this moment? You know, if I were if I were creating this relationship from my fo- from my most authentic place. If I were creating this relationship from my most empowered place. If I wasn't trying to create something out of some kind of insecure need, but more just from me expressing myself authentically and creating what I want to create authentically right? If I were to come from that place, and and when you're you're surrendering into your intuitive place, that's what you're surrendering into, right? And so it's kind of like you're stepping out of this frantic, fearful, nervous, anxious place, and into this calm, collected, grounded, empowered place. And then you're viewing the situation from that perspective and asking what's needed right now. And what we want to do is we want to go, well, What what do I need to do to get this person to like me, to get them to want to be with me, to get us to be in love and live happily ever after? And this is actually a different come from. What I'm saying is, what do I need to do to get this person to, actually, not even to get this person, what do I need to do to represent myself authentically in this relationship, to have this person know me fully and experience me fully? And trust that whatever comes from that is the highest possible good for all. And what what is the greatest representation of that in this moment? That's the question. And when you start viewing situations in your life, whether it's in dating, whether it's in relationships, if you're in a couple, if you're in a partnership and you're having a fight or you're having some kind of jealousy situation or some kind of, you know, it could be anything. Again, you can do this with anything, right? But if you're having some kind of situation with your partner. Right? You ask yourself the same question, not what do I got to do to get what I want? What do I got to do to get my partner to meet my needs? What do I got to do to control the outcome and, and make this relationship what I think it should be? Right, That's not the question. The question is, what is the greatest representation of my authenticity, of me being myself, of me coming from my love and dedication to this relationship and what I truly want to create in my heart here? What is the greatest representation of that in this moment? How can I embody that most fully and most completely in this interaction, in this experience, in this moment? And then trusting that if I do that, whatever comes from that will be whatever is in my highest good and the highest good for the relationship and everybody else. And when you start to operate from this place, you start to make very different decisions about life and love and everything in between because it's almost like you're not making your decisions anymore. You're not from this ego, need, control, craving place making your decisions. It's more like you're being guided. And, and I'll just share from me personally, I I don't know if there's some being up there delivering me answers. You know, like people talk about their spirit guides and, and they're, you know, or talking to God or, or you know, however they relate to it. I don't know if it's like that. I don't know if there's some guide up there who's overlooking my life and you know has a greater perspective on it than I do and they're feeding me information as I need it. I don't know if that's how it works. It could be. But what I know is when I am out of my egoic reaction and I ask for an answer from a clear, calm, and grounded place, I get one. And it's always the right answer. I, I see it happen with clients and people I coach. I see it happen in the program with the people who do the work and they, in the inspired love program, you know, when people really do the work and they take the suggestions and they do the practices and they, you know, and they, they embody what we're teaching in the program. I see it happen there too. What happens is, is people just start being guided towards things that are really, really, really good for them (laughs) that are really, really, really right for them. And You know, like, I I think we've got to, I said earlier, your ego is not smart enough to do that. Your ego is not smart enough to do that. Your ego cannot see everything from all perspectives for all time and how it's all going to work out. Is it crazy to consider that there is a part of you that is able to do that? You know, and I don't necessarily think about it like some person or some being sitting up in the clouds, feeding me information. But I think about it as a part of my own mind that that operates on a very different level than my physical mind or my egoic mind and has a very different perspective of life and love and, and situations as a whole. That perspective does have the wisdom. And if I can tap into that, if I can tune into that, you know, it's like in the ego, it's like I want this person. Why? Because they check my boxes and from my very limited perspective, from my very limited perspective of the situation, I think that this person will give me what I want. You know, do you know who that person's going to be a year from now? Do you know that person's deepest heartfelt desires that they are not even maybe aware of themselves? Do you know that like the things that that person doesn't want to let you know about that they're withholding? Like, do you know all of that in your egoic mind? Of course not. But do you think that your intuitive mind might have a way of accessing that information? Maybe it's the ability to see into the future from another level. Maybe it's the ability to to read the energy of the situation and just, you know, read on the subtle cues, the subtle body languages, the subtle inflections in the voice, the subtle intonations it's able to read more than your egoic mind can hear by just looking at the the words alone, right? Like, do you think that, do you think that you might be more capable of knowing more than you think, you know, by tapping into a different kind of wisdom and a different kind of information. And my life experience has been, yes. And this was what I learned in dating, how I met my wife, All the, all the things I talk about on here is like, this is what I practiced. You know, it's interesting. And my wife and I share about this a lot is that when we met, and this is true for both of us, we were not each other's type. Okay. And, And something just very obvious is that we were the same height, my wife and I, and I always dated women who were shorter than me. And she always dated men who were taller than her. And that was some, you know, she always said like, I want somebody who's the same height as me when I wear high heels. And so like, if we just go with that right there, you know, that was, that was like a really basic thing that we both thought in our egos we wanted. And had we been operating through our egos, we would have seen each other and just been like not attracted, not interested. But I, I think my wife and I were both very spiritual people. We're both very intuitive people. We've both done a lot of work, even Even before the time we met each other, we had both done a lot of work on ourselves. I mean, we met through a personal development program. That's how we met each other. So, you know, we were conscious people. We were people who were doing the work. And when we met, there was something there on an intuitive sense that made no sense to our logical minds We didn't really know each other. We lived on opposite ends of the country. She lived in New Jersey. I lived in South Florida. There was eight years between us. I was eight years younger than her. You know, we were the same height. I mean, and there were there were other things (laughs) like but but I just, you know, those are some of the biggest things. And it's like on paper, our relationship made no sense. If we were sitting there with our laundry list of qualities that we were looking for, trying to check off the boxes, we wouldn't have checked each other's boxes. And so it's very fortunate for us that we both were connected to a different kind of wisdom. When we met each other, we were tuned into that. And even though our egos were kind of going, I don't think this is right, and I don't think this is, you know, whatever, even though our egos were going through all of that, our intuitive minds were saying something different. Our intuitive sense was saying something different, and we had the ability to feel into that and, and go, huh, let's see what's here. You know, it's, it's really interesting. I I was just saying this to my wife the other night, like we are highly, highly compatible in ways that we never could have known to begin with. Like, and it's actually, it's, it's interesting. Like as we grow more together and as we work through some of the egoic limitations that we had early on in our relationship, It's like we become more compatible. And so like, these are things that we couldn't have even known when we were sizing each other up and doing our checklist. These are things that only became revealed after years together. And this is why I I think like developing this intuitive muscle and trusting what's coming from the intuition is, is such an important skill for all of us to learn. I see a question here, uh, says, what if you can't decipher between intuition, and operating from ego and trauma? Well, I'm so glad you asked this actually. And thank you for putting that question in because it's, what I want to say is you have an incredible amount of room to make mistakes in this universe. You have an incredible amount of room to get it wrong. Like as as my life goes on and as I practice what I know works and I constantly see how far I fall short from these principles that I try to live by and yet I see my life continuing to get better and better and better and better anyway and I and I look at people who like might be people that I look up to people who are way ahead of me and and I see the ways that even they fall short of it and I see how incredible their life is anyway I I, I want to say that you don't have to get this right but what you do need to do is you need to take it seriously and you need to have in your heart a sincere desire to learn and a sincere desire to grow. And whatever your trauma is, a sincere desire to heal it and move beyond it. You you know, um, sometimes, sometimes, this isn't everybody and this isn't all cases, but sometimes we use trauma as a way of justifying why we're stuck rather than looking at our trauma as something that is is a challenge and an obstacle for us in life but then also bringing with that the commitment to work through it and heal from it and go beyond it that looks different for different people some people their journey with that is much longer than others and i have respect and consideration for that absolutely but the the principle is the same so going back to the question you know what if we don't know the difference between ego and trauma and intuition and higher self what if we don't know the difference what if we don't know how to how to learn that well practice start learning you know develop a meditation practice develop a journaling practice develop a uh you know um movement practice of of moving your body and and you know moving the energy and you know like all of this like take classes take workshops take seminars do do all of it read books listen to podcasts. You know, I think like when you have the commitment to learn and to grow and you keep that commitment throughout your life, you're set for life at that point. Actually, that's that's a really good thing for everybody to remember. You know, setting for being set for life is not about having any external manifestation. Uh, some of you are probably aware that most lottery winners are broke within a few years. I mean, if you think about the gravity of that, how do you win $20 million and go broke within a few years, you know, but it's not really any different than saying like the divorce rate is over 50%, like 70% of couples who get married, get divorced. And most of the people who stay married are unhappily married, right? So it's, it's no different, right? It's like, you can't take money and put it into a broke context and expect money to change something. And you can't take a relationship and put it into a loveless context and expect the relationship to change something. It just doesn't work. And this is why lottery winners go broke. And this is why most people get divorced or end up unhappily married is because being set for life is not about having any kind of external manifestation. It's about being something on the inside. It's about having something on the inside that you can bring. To every external situation yeah let me leave it let me leave it at that actually let me leave it at that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go further with that so if you're new to the journey of intuition, if you're inexperienced in the journey of intuition if you you know if you're on this path be on the path but be committed on your path be on the path but be committed on your path Katya I see I see you posted a question what about intuition and narcissism? The way we talk about narcissism and narcissists in our culture and social media and things like that is, is, you know, we talk about them like they're the bad guys. And so, like, let's start by saying that narcissists are human beings, too. And narcissism is a mental illness if it's real narcissism. Now, there are some people who are just selfish and they're not narcissists necessarily. Maybe they just didn't give you what you wanted and you call them a narcissist, that's different. Real narcissists have a mental illness. If somebody was suffering from severe out-of-control bipolar disorder, if somebody was suffering from severe schizophrenic, if somebody was suffering from severe depression, or severe anxiety, not, you know, I, I understand we all have anxiety to a degree. We all have depression to a degree. But if somebody was suffering from severe anxiety or severe depression, it would be appropriate to say that that person is not in a place where they are really capable of, where they are really capable of building and sustaining a healthy long term relationship. And that what that person should probably be doing right now is focusing on bringing their mental illness into a place of balance so they can feel good about themselves, so they can feel confident and healthy and happy in their lives. And then from that place, creating a relationship would be a lot more practical. They would be a lot more available for it. They would would be a lot more prepared for it. And they would have more to give to that relationship. And so I don't really think that real narcissism should be treated any differently. And if you are trying to, if you're in a relationship with somebody that you have decided or identified as a narcissist, and you are trying to push that relationship with them, I imagine your intuitive sense, going back to the question, what about narcissism and intuition? I imagine your intuitive sense would be telling you that this person has work they need to do, has healing they need to do before they are ready to create the kind of relationship that I want to create. And so your intuitive sense would be telling you that this is not, this is not the relationship for you. If you're fighting that, then I imagine your ego is what's fighting it. Because your ego is the only part of you that would need to cling to something that is not only hurting you, but is hurting them too. Like here's here's the thing about narcissism is for the real narcissists in the world, what the other people who are not narcissists need to do is have very strong boundaries with them so that they can experience that their behavior is not appropriate or healthy, or okay in relationship with other people. And when we create those boundaries with them, they will understand that they need to learn a new way of relating. And if they don't understand that, if they don't learn that, if they don't ever seek out help for that, then they will just isolate themselves. But you know, the responsibility is on the people who are in a healthy mental state not the people who are in an unhealthy mental state. You know, I I see somebody here commented that sometimes they don't know they have a condition. Well, I get it. They don't know they have a condition, but if you do, the responsibility is on you. And this is where I'm going to be very direct is you arguing that they don't know they have a condition. Like my question for you would be, well, why do you who does know they have a condition, What's preventing you from taking the responsibility as the one who is in the healthier mental state to make the decisions about this relationship? Because you know all they're going to do is they're going to push and they're going to fight and they're going to manipulate and they're going to argue and they're going to they're going to do everything they can to do whatever they have to do. But yeah, they will never take responsibility. That's why you as the healthy mental person have to. And if you're unwilling to do that, then you're sinking to their level. And this is the tough truth about it. This is the tough truth about it. And I get it. These these experiences are incredibly painful. I, I've been in a relationship with a narcissist. It was my first adult relationship. I was 21 years old. She was 40. And it was an incredibly manipulative and and hurtful and toxic situation. And It it was very painful for me. And fortunately, and I I can't even take credit for this necessarily, but fortunately, I was able to see what it was and remove myself from it. And I, I stayed for eight months in an incredible, I mean, seven months of it were a nightmare. The first month was amazing. Seven months of it were a nightmare. And I stayed for eight months. That's how long it took for me to understand what the situation was at 21 years old. And to, and to understand who she was and how she was. And I understand, you know, if you have children, if you have, you know, other things, like like some of these situations are very complex, you know. And and some of us, some of us, you know, got involved with a narcissist before we even knew what a narcissist was. And then, you know, before we know it, we've been married to them for 10 years and we're only becoming aware of what was happening and what we've been going through. Right. So like I I've coached some of my clients and you know, like they've come to me and like, I was very young when I got married and I didn't know he was a narcissist and it was only, you know, 10 years into our marriage that I finally understood what was happening. I get that. I get that. And like, that is just so devastating and so heartbreaking. And, and like uh, my heart goes out to anybody who has been in that kind of situation it's it's incredibly challenging incredibly devastating like i've i've coached probably you know 20 30 people who have been in those kinds of situations i'm very very familiar with it and i'm always going to i'm always going to give you the way out right like i'm not i can have sympathy for the challenge of your situation and i can get it that it's incredibly difficult and i can be on your team about it but i also Like the only thing I can do to help you is give you the way out. And the way out is to take responsibility for the situation and do what you've gotta do for yourself. And complaining about them or pointing the finger at them or cataloging all of the abuses over the years and everything they've done to hurt you is not gonna help you. There may be a time once you're out where you're processing the trauma, where you may want to revisit the things that happened And you may want to explore and talk about them and journal about them. And, you know, if like, I I get that, like, you know, you may need to go through a period of processing the experience and the trauma, but, but like, other than that, there's nothing else to do with it other than get out, take responsibility for the situation and get out. That's the only other thing there is to do with it. I just want to say, like, I know I can be direct sometimes. And for anybody who has been through that, lots of, lots of love. And and I know if if you're actively going through that, or if you're trying to leave right now, you probably have a long healing journey ahead of you. And I think the best thing I can do to serve you in, in your situation is to say, take responsibility for your life and your situation, get committed to your own healing journey and do whatever you have to do because you're worth it. Like that's really what it comes down to because you're worth it. That's why you got to do it because you're worth it. Okay. So thank you to those of you who have been sending in the questions. Um, I've seen this question come in a few times. I'll I'll answer it now. Actually, what mindset do you have? Do you need to have to get over a narcissist? And thank you, Yuri. I know you've sent that question in a few times and and I'm going to get around to it. Um, So what, what mindset do you need to have to get over a narcissist? I think to get over a narcissist or to come out of narcissistic abuse, you have got to have relentless self-love and self-compassion, forgiveness for yourself. You know, you didn't do it on purpose. You didn't know what it was. And like, it's okay. Um, You've got to have faith. You've got to have faith that like, what am I trying to say here? That there was a purpose to it, I'll share. I'll share uh, just a few details about a client that I've had going through a horrible situation with narcissistic ex husband, and the child abuse and the custody battle. And this person just has a lot of money, and they've been able to basically buy out the court system and just kind of ruin this. This woman, my client, is the woman just been able to really do a lot to try to ruin her life. And, you know, she's been spending every dime she has to just fight this horrible battle with this narcissist. And it's it's a really, really bad situation. I mean it's horrible. It's it's devastating. And and I want to say, like she has I am amazed by her strength. I am I am I am astounded by this woman's strength and what she's been dealing with and the courage and the attitude that she's had going through this whole situation. You know, a lot of what we've been working on, this is an inc- the challenge of a lifetime, you know, and she, she has to watch the effect it's having on her child and, you know, watching them go through this and, and it's affecting them in very serious ways. And what we've been working on is trusting that there is a meaning behind this, that this is a part of her journey. That this is a, that this, that there is something that she is learning from this, that there is something her son is learning from this, that there is something that, you know, is going to come from this, that is going to be meaningful, that is going to matter for her and, and trusting that this is a part of her journey. And she just recently shared with me that she's considering starting a foundation for women who are going through similar situations to her. And that maybe that's what all of this was for. And I'm not saying that that's what it was for and that's the answer and that's why it happened. That's just something she mentioned. But my point in bringing this up is, you know, you've got to have faith. You've got to have relentless self-love. You've got to have courage. You've got to have, like, the willingness to just do whatever you have to do. Go as far as you have to go. And, you know, to... To the people, you know, there, there, I feel like there are two kinds of narcissists, you know, there's the Instagram narcissist where everybody who hurt you is a narcissist. And then there are the people who have been through, you know, 10, 20 years of like living with a narcissist and like, and even if you've been through two years of it, it's, it's hard. Right. But you know, the people who have been through like the years of living with a narcissist and, have been through like the very intense abuse situations that come with that. And that is a, that is a, if, if you've been through that, or if you're going through that, that is a journey that is going to take you to the very core of your being. You are going to find out how strong and how amazing you really are. As you go through the journey of separating yourself, regaining your power, owning your strength, owning your courage, rebuilding your life. You, I mean, it, it, is, it is the journey of a lifetime. It is. And, you know, maybe that's what it's for. I don't know. I don't know. But it is the journey of a lifetime. And you will find out how amazing and how powerful and how incredible you truly are. Okay, here, Michelle Dawn has a question. How do you handle a situation where you know the best thing for you is to leave a job, but you're not able to leave? I'm doing my best not to let it affect my path, but it is affecting me emotionally. Oh, I like that question. When you know something is right for you, it could be to leave a job. It could be to leave a relationship. Um, when you know something is right for you and you're afraid to do it. You know, when I, when I, when I work with a client and we'll often... In, in coaching, I'll often be working with a client and, you know, we'll get to a place where maybe, okay, we've clarified the next step, but whatever the next step is, is just too big for the client to take, right? They're just like, I cannot even imagine doing that. That's just, that's terrifying for me. Right? So at that point, that is when we need to start looking at the client and saying, okay, now we've looked at the external world and determined what is necessary. So now we need to look at you internally and determine what's happening for you that is preventing you from taking this step. So that would be how I answer the question, Michelle. I would say, you've got to look inside and you've got to go, what is happening for me? Now, I know you said, I'm just too afraid or whatever it is, but you've got to get deeper than that. Again, journal about it, meditate on it. Um, You want to get to know the internal thoughts, right? And I mean, with jobs, it's usually tied to things like security, money, um, what am I going to do next, right? So, you know, maybe what you realize is there are some things I need to do to set myself up to be ready to leave, right? So maybe you set some goals. I need to save up a certain amount of money. I need to apply for a certain amount of jobs or whatever that looks like, right? So maybe I need to set myself up to be ready to leave. That could be one option. Maybe I need to Maybe it's a trust thing. Maybe I just don't trust I'll be okay. Like maybe I'm leaving the job to pursue my passion, but I don't believe my passion will sustain me, right? Well, sometimes you'll need to do more of a gradual process, right? So don't throw your job out the window and go follow your passion blindly and then, you know, end up not having money to eat. Maybe you need to do more of a gradual process. So I think you want to look inside Michelle familiarize yourself with what's going on for you. What are the fears? What are the conversations? And then it's going to be a balance of needing to set yourself up to be ready to leave the job and then also trusting enough to leave. How do you develop trust? I mean, it's a gradual process. It happens over time, but I think you talk yourself into it. I think you do it through taking risks that you can see, you know, um, so maybe something you could do here would be like, what's a risk I can take? Uh, what maybe a risk I could take would be to, um, to uh, maybe take time off or communicate that, you know, I, I need to go to a part-time instead of a full-time or like maybe that would be a risk you can take. And so then you can start, then you can start, um, then you can start Developing that trust, feeling into that in a gradual sense. So it's not like, you know, I, I often say when you wake up in the morning, you know, you don't want to wake up with like a, a loud alarm. A lot of us do it. It's kind of funny. We do this. We wake up with an alarm and it goes, bah, 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 but, you know, like that's a horrible way to wake up. Like it might be better. My dog, it's funny. My dog was laying here. He just jumped up when I did that. Point in case, right? So, you know, like it's better to wake up softly and gently and ease into your morning. And if you could take a few minutes to breathe before you even open your eyes, and you know, you ease your nervous system before you even open your eyes in the morning, like it's better to wake up like that. And so I, I think, you know, developing trust is the same way. If you rip the band aid off, if you quit your job and throw yourself into uncertainty, you know, a lot of times what's going to happen is your fear will come up stronger than ever and you'll retreat back into a very similar comfortable situation. But if you can find baby steps to develop trust, and I actually, I have a podcast episode. I have a podcast episode where I speak into this more, where I talk about the development of trust. In the development of trust, I I talk about, you know, you take the steps that you can take. You do that and you work yourself up to the bigger things. So, I hope that supports you with your question. I'm going to leave it at that for this one. The other one I wanted to take was How can I rebuild my life when no one even acknowledges me? And, you know, I just want to say, I wanted to take this question because I've seen some of the comments that you've been posting as we've been going through. It seems like you're really having a hard time right now, whatever you're going through. So, I just want to start by saying lots of love. I see you commented just now. I'm overwhelmed and can't handle it anymore. So, You know, lots of love uh, to you. I I just want to say, first of all, and whatever you're going through, I don't know the details of the situation. I would say, make a commitment to yourself to get some kind of support, some kind of support. There is an app called Better Health that makes therapy very affordable. There are even therapists who do like pro bono work. Make some kind of commitment to yourself to get some kind of support. If you could just do that one, you know, you could Google, if, if money is a challenge, I don't know if money is a challenge, but if it is, you know, you can Google like free or low cost therapy. Um, you can, I mean, there are, there are resources available for everybody. They're there. People find them all the time. I, I mean, I help people find them. So they, they are there. You know, your question was, how can I turn my life around when nobody even acknowledges me? And the first person who's going to need to acknowledge you is you. It's going to have to start there. And if if you wait and if you say, I won't acknowledge myself until somebody else does, it's probably never going to happen. But when you start acknowledging yourself, when you start making yourself important, your energy changes and other people start to acknowledge you. And so one of the ways that you can make yourself important is by making a commitment to get some support. That's, that's a place to start. Literally, all you would need to do is from your computer or from a phone, or if you don't have a computer or a phone, you could go to the library I mean, I'm, I'm literally talking to anybody right now, anybody and everybody who might hear this. If you have no resources, if you have nothing, but you want to turn your life around, you can go to the library and you can get on the computer and you can Google free and low-cost therapy. And you can, you know, there are probably scholarship opportunities available. There are probably, um, there, there there are I mean, there are lots of things available. There are therapists who do pro bono work and you may need to submit some different kinds of applications. you may need to send some emails. And again, like this is all, this is all the effort that you are making to make yourself important. right? This is all the effort that you are making to acknowledge yourself. And so if you were to today, whatever you're doing, if you have some time or tomorrow, if you don't have time today, you know, make some time to go over to the library or get on your computer and start doing some searches, start sending in some applications, start, you know, emailing some therapists, start whatever you got to do. And within a week or a couple of weeks, you could probably have some therapy. You could probably have some support. So I I, want to say that, you know, that's my very simple, clear, direct advice to you or to anybody who is in a similar situation right now. That's my very clear, simple advice. Make that one commitment to yourself to get some support and be relentless about it. Make that your demonstration of self-love. There are opportunities. There are ways available. Now, if money's not an issue, if you have money, then you don't even it's not even going to be that difficult. It'll be way easier. All you got to do is go online and reach out to some therapists and set up an appointment. So um, I I see a comment right here, and I've seen a few comments. People are saying different scholarships and things they've received, but uh, Casey says, sometimes at universities, you can go for a very small one-time fee and see the psychology students who are supervised. So, I mean, that's a great way to do it. And I, I I think that you've got to make the commitment to yourself, and I see your comment right now, You say no resources, okay? So somebody just commented, and and I'm going to say this to you or anybody else who might hear this. Somebody just commented that sometimes at universities, you can go for a very small one-time fee and see the psychology students who are supervised. And, And then the reply that you said was no resources. So that was a resource that was mentioned. And you don't even know what's possible there. You don't even know what's available there. Like all you would need to do is make a point to go over to a college somewhere and ask what's possible, ask what's available, or to get on the phone and call a college and ask what's possible and ask what's available. And this is going to be my desperate plea to you from the bottom of my heart is try to love yourself enough to make that effort. Try to love yourself enough to make the simple effort of just exploring what's possible. Try to love yourself enough to make the simple effort of just exploring what's possible. And I I get it. You might be so tired and depressed that you could barely wake up in the morning. I get it. And if you can't do it today, then try to do it tomorrow. But try to love yourself enough to just do that. I don't know where you are. I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on in your life or where you are in the world. But I do know that if you try to find help, you can find it. You know, if you can't do it today, try again tomorrow, like I said. But just every day, wake up and try to love yourself enough to do that. And if you keep trying to do that, one of these days, you will. If you keep trying to do that, one of these days, you will. You know, if, if you think you're at the point of suicide, call a suicide hotline. Start there. There are people on hand, ready to talk to you about what you're going through. So, you know, that that's my desperate plea from the bottom of my heart. That's, that's all I can do. There is help available every day. Get up and try to love yourself enough to go find it. All right. I'm going to close it out with that. Everybody, thank you for being on with me today sending lots of love to everybody and many blessings. And uh, yeah, we'll be back here. The podcast goes live on Thursday. We'll be back here on Instagram next Tuesday, sending many love, many blessings to all of you and wherever you are, whatever you're going through, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the living relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.